It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. From tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday september 13th almost forgot that date there and you're listening to episode 485 as always i am your host jason wow as always i'm your host jason joined today uh by my pal game designer roscoe shock hey roscoe how's it going Doing good, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. We haven't uh, we haven't chatted in a while. We usually can count on seeing each other uh, every once in a while at conventions and stuff, and that hasn't happened. So it's mostly been Discord since the last time you were on the show, which was which was a while back. Yeah, a couple months ago, maybe like in the spring or something like that. We were talking a little bit about game ideas and stuff, but yeah, with uh, all the change in Origins and Gen Con and things still being kind of crazy with. Uh, delta and travel no uh, yeah no unpub rooms to hang out in yet right right yeah it um yeah yeah i miss i miss the uh i miss the unpubs so yes and the all the places that involve the people and the things <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> i was really uh i was you know counting on going to at least like grand con our local con and, and then that got canceled and now yeah, now I don't think uh no, I don't think I'm going anywhere until 2022. Though I do have a Gen Con badge accidentally. So that I forgot to uh roll do whatever I had to do. I don't know, I rolled it over last year to be nice and then uh <laughs> and then now I have it and I don't need it. So that's cool, cool, cool. But yeah. yeah. I may be hoping to go to um Pax Unplugged. It's uh just a easy train ride for me so i don't have to uh right. get a hotel or get in a giant flying covid tube or anything like that so yeah right we'll, uh, and and i don't have to make any super arrangements ahead of time i can just decide last minute so we'll see how things go between now and then right 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 yeah i know that is that's nice i mean for me it would be a very long drive and a definite hotel stay uh that i'm not really interested in um so and also you know a large room of people that i'm a little nervous about too but uh I think if I could get there super easily like you can, I would, I would consider it. Uh, I would consider it. So, yeah. Well, um, yes, you, uh, have you been able to, uh, have you played anything recently, uh, like live or on TTS or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I have played a couple things. Um, some friends of mine, sometimes we play games at lunch. Uh, so I was able to try, usually I'm too busy playing prototypes, but I actually did play a couple of published things. Um, so I recently tried um, Troyes Dice, or Trois Dice, as uh, we should say appropriately, um, <laughs> which is nothing like the original board game, but uh, it's actually a pretty decent little roll and write. Um, we only played it once, um, but uh, it was a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of different tracks you can do. You can definitely see the, the skin uh, of the board game on it, but uh, yeah, I think it's a nice, solid one. It's not going to blow your socks off, but it has some kind of cool push and pull between the different sections and the different strategies. So, uh, it was kind of interesting. So that was, uh, not bad. Definitely a solid, a solid title. Sounds cool. I, um, I played recently, I picked up trails, um, trails. Yeah. yeah. Trails. The yeah. little one that's yeah. Um, and I, uh, so I picked that up cause I, I heard it was good. I happened to be at target and, um, I think that one is a target exclusive. I could be wrong. When I got in summer camp, I saw it, um, but I was like, oh, I shouldn't buy two games that I may not play. So I, I've been trying to buy one at a time so that I actually play them. 
Uh, and uh, so I picked up that. And um, have you tried that at all? Have you played Trails? Before? I have not. So have not it is. Um, it is a dense like game for being little. Like there were a lot of rules and a lot of setup, and that it was super easy to play. Um, but for what looks like a little box game, uh, there was a lot going on. <laughs> That game, uh, my wife and I really liked it though, and we um so yeah we were we were pretty excited to um we were pretty excited to be able to uh to be able to play it, and uh, I think that's one that'll hit our table fairly frequently. It was a good time. The of course the artwork, just like in um just like uh Parks, is right. just so good, so good. Um yeah, and it's got this cool mechanic where you know you go out during the day and then you come back and then like the sun keeps setting and that keeps changing how everything works and it was just it was a lot of fun. Um we had a really good time and it was like a super close game too which I always like. You know at the end it's like oh like two points between the two of us. Um right. Yeah. Cool. So that was a lot of fun. Um that's all I oh, Yeah, you're really saying recently. That's cool. Yeah, you're also saying like a small box with a lot of stuff. So the other thing I played was uh, Red Cathedral. Oh, I've not, I've not seen that. So, it, it's um, it's kind of like a, a building game. There's like a rondelle mechanism in the center that you collect resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of things about that are really cool. One, it's a super small box, um, but it has a lot of stuff in it, and a lot of the opponents kind of get create these different towers. There's five different, uh, depending on the player count. There's five different kind of columns of different heights. And so you're collecting resources and building the sections. But the one thing that's kind of neat is that the sections score kind of uh, in an area control manner. So like the person who builds the most sections in each of the five columns or towers, however you want to say it, they get the most points and the second place gets half of that and half of that, et cetera, down, down the line. Um, so there's a lot of uh, interesting things with that at the air control puzzle. And then also the center part, you have these dice that move kind of in a circle around this rondelle mechanism. And um, so you have to kind of pick which dice you're moving and where they end Mm -hmm. up is what you get resources for. So like if you land on like the gold spot, um, you get gold equal to the number of dice that are there, including the one you just landed at. So if there's already one there, then you get two gold instead of single one. And so as the dice kind of move around, it changes the, what you can get easily and what you can, um, kind of pay more for or move extra for. And then the other thing is you can build these bonuses uh, when you claim sections of the tower that every time you move like a green die or something, for example, then you get a special bonus. And so you can kind of buy these bonuses. So it's an extra piece of the puzzle, not just where you can get stuff on the rondelle from like a resource collections perspective, but also where you can uh, get bonuses that are just like kind of on your player board. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think it's really good. Um, there's one rule that it has that I think is just superfluous. Um, <laughs> when you move the dice, whenever the dice land in, a, in one of the sections of the rondelle, you have to reroll all the dice that are there, including the one you just brought. And the one problem that causes is the next player can't really, especially because you kind of go back and forth between collecting resources and building. Uh-huh. Um, so you're kind of like flip-flopping back and forth. So the next person can't really even start planning their turn until the end of your turn when the dice get re-rolled because you don't know what dice are going to be available because the, the number of the die face is how far you move around the rondelle. Oh. And so it's, if you just rolled the one that you placed there, 
-hmm. would just add an extra option, but it wouldn't destroy options that are already out there. And so you could already have kind of like a plan one and two. And there is a a minor strategic reason to keep it there, but I think it's just not, doesn't provide enough value. I would definitely remove that rule. So that's the only frustration I've seen is that like the next person kind of has to wait till your turn's done completely before they can start planning, which is not what you want in a Euro. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. It's like, let's just increase the downtime. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, because it's not like a three-hour year or anything like that. I mean, it's it's intended to be more like a you know sixty eighty minute thing. So, um, right, just adding artificial uh, downtime is just never a good idea. So, agreed, agreed. Yes, yes, excellent. Well, hey, you uh, you were kind enough to bring a topic for us to chat about this evening, and um, yeah, I was gonna. Let you introduce that. It was actually piggybacking off a topic we talked about not too long ago, uh, and I thought it was an interesting addition to that. So, yeah, go go ahead. Yeah, so um, recently you and Julio were talking about, like, designing certain games for IPs um, kind of on spec or even, like, if they just had, like, a, um, a certain IP that they wanted to get a game in the marketplace. And then let's say that game doesn't get signed. What are you going to do with it? You know, are you mm-hmm. going to, like try to reskin it, retheme it, put it on the shelf. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. Um, but the one thing that I was just thinking more about that in general is I think one of the harder things uh, designing games, at least for me, I won't speak for other people, but is, you know, when you're first getting started out and you're, you're you know, you're going to unpubs and you're going to these conventions and you're getting testing and you're getting feedback and you start pitching. Um, it's really hard to know when a game we should just put it on the shelf for now. Um, right, and right. also the, the corollary to that is, well, you know, what makes you kind of take it back off, you know? So like sometimes they're designed, it just don't work. And then they're, they're hot garbage and you throw them away. But some, a lot of times like there's something there and it's just not quite right. And um, I think sometimes it's easy to fall in love with your ideas and, you know, the old expression people say, you know, kill your babies and that kind of thing. But you're like, desperate to find a way to make a certain game work, especially if you only have kind of like one or two designs uh, kind of on the stove at the moment. And so like you just keep trying to like, well, what if I change this or what if I add these four things and what if I take this out or, (laughs) you know, whatever it is. And I think sometimes, you know, you can um, just be spinning your wheels and you're probably better off like just walking away from it from a while for a while and, um, you know, coming back to it. if you find a, a better way to kind of move it forward. And so uh, the thing I wanted to kind of like mention is, at least from my perspective, um, what are some signs or some some kind of different categories of things where would be a good hint that maybe you just need to put this game down for a while and not work on it actively? Yeah, no, I think this is a really important topic because, you know, you see this, I think, a lot with, especially with newer designers, like you said, you know, if you've only got a couple of games you're working on, and, you know, you get, you tend to get very passionate about that game and you don't, you want to keep working on it, right? You don't want to stop working on it. You want to, you want to finish it. You want to get it going. And, um, but even, I think that even us people who've been designing for longer, that, that can absolutely happen still, you know, like you get attached to something and you're just, like you said, you just, you know, if you're banging your head against the wall, trying to make it work sometimes when is enough. Right. Um, yeah, no, this, I think this is, this is a really interesting, uh, really interesting topic. So, yeah. Um, well, let's. Let's get started. So what do you, um, what, what, uh, what to you is, is one of the big, well, first of all, I'm curious, do you have trouble with this? 
Like, is this something that happens to you as well? Where you're like, gosh, should I stop running on this? Or I, I, I feel like, I feel like what I know of you, you'd be pretty pragmatic about it. Like, you know, I'm just going to set this down for now. You don't seem like the type of designer that would get overly attached, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And for the record, I am the type of designer that always gets overly <laughs> attached. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think what you said is true. Um, I'm not someone to get too overly attached to something um, or at least to like get, get stuck in a rut on it. But I think part of that comes from what you said, like being pragmatic. And that's what, what I want to kind of talk about of like, basically like, uh, I guess no points where like mentally I'm like, well, am I at this point? If I am, then just like, okay, put it aside, go to the next thing. So it's some of that's like, I think I've built a mechanism to kind of like not get stuck in that rut. Not that I don't end up at that same decision point, um, but um, yeah, these are certain things that I kind of look at where if these things are happening, then then I know that now's the time to like move on to something else. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have like, I think I have like six minor kind of like to me checking check in points that uh, like I've been using to kind of like decide whether it's time to put something kind of on the shelf. So. One thing is if you're play testing and you're going to proto spiels and you're going to unpubs and these kind of things um, and people are playing your game and they don't seem to be playing it the way you intend to them to play it. So mm-hmm. I think when there's a disconnect between the game and your play testers, a lot of times you're so busy looking for things that are going right that you're not always paying attention to the things that are kind of going wrong. And so mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of like there's this TikTok. I'll like post it on Twitter usually once a week of this girl watching this uh, kind of focus group person. They have this bucket that has like different shape holes in it. And the person picks up uh, a square and they're like, well, this obviously goes in the square hole. And they pick up this long column that's rectangular. And obviously that goes in the square hole. And then the person picks up a circular cylinder and they're like, obviously this also goes in the square hole. And the girl starts like <laughs> losing her mind because the person just puts everything in the square hole. And, um, I think sometimes it's easy to kind of get uh, miss the forest for the trees and not really be paying attention that people are putting stuff in the wrong spots because right. the game is not helping them play it correctly. It's not, it's not humming. It's not doing the right things. And so you have to be looking for when people are doing the wrong thing, not just looking for the right thing. And if that's the case, then maybe it's time to like put that aside and come back to it later because uh, it's, it's, it's not really resonating. Right. I mean, that's always the thing with, with games when the game is not kind of naturally helping them do the right things then it may need some major changes. So that might be a good time to put it on the shelf. That's a good point. That's a good point. And that's, I I think there's a difference between that when that's happening a few months into a design as compared to when that's happening, like in the very first couple plays, right? Because sometimes that does happen. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, that's not what I thought. And sometimes that's a sign that maybe just chuck it. (laughs) And other times it's a sign of, oh, I should work on this. But yeah, I agree. Later on when that happens, that's not, that's not great. Yeah. For sure. Definitely the, the caveat there is that you think the game is like working great. <laughs> right. right. At the, at the first play test and you're like, this is hot garbage. We'll see what happens. Then sure. Everything's going to break. But when you think it's like ready to pitch and people are playing it wrong, there's a problem. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's a great point. Um, so um, one thing that happens sometimes um, for me is, I may have a game and I get it out and I take it to a uh, play test, whether there's friends or whatever. And, you know, I've made some changes. I'm excited to see how they work and um, it doesn't go well and things are kind of broken. 
And I know I'm gonna have to change a bunch of components and, and like change some rules and like maybe add a new mechanism and you just don't feel like it. Right. So I think when you have that feeling, you have to recognize it and not force it. Um, and just say like, may work on something I'm more excited about, right. Something that, uh, you know, I really am actively like want to move forward to a certain point. And then like that, just let that kind of burn in the background and see if, if, if like eventually you come back to something that makes sense and wants you to, makes you feel like you want to pick it back up and like move it forward again. But like if, if after the, the play testing event, you, it feels daunting to update the prototype to the new rules, the new mechanisms, then that's probably a good sign that you should take a break from it. Yeah, this is that is one of the key triggers for myself for putting a game down. Um, and I, I've mentioned this, I think, a long time ago on the show. The idea that, like, when I get to the, like, I will sometimes just sit down and just, like, just offload a ton of ideas about a game and, like, try and write out the rules and do a lot of work on it up front. Um, because what will happen sometimes is I'll get partway through it and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. And then I just will stop because it's that same feeling like I'm using it early on. Um, but yeah, like later, I think it's just as important to say, like, if you're not excited about the game you're working on, um, then then don't work on it. That reminds me of a of a thing, too, of always telling newer game designers, when you design a game, design a game you like to play, because if that game is successful, even if it's just lots of playtesting, getting into a publisher, you're going to play that game so many times that if you don't like it, you're going to be really upset with yourself. <laughs> um, right. And I've, I've worked on games like that where I'm like, gosh, if this gets published, I'm going to have to keep playing this. Like, I don't want to keep playing this and that you don't want that. So. Yeah. It's awesome. like a piece of, uh, uh, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but basically like um, if, if you have a game that you think is done and you don't hate it, you haven't played it enough. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yes, uh, yes. Right. Because like, to, to truly know, right? Because I mean, that's always the rule, right? That the first day your game's released is going to get played more times that single day than all the days in the past put together. Yep. So, um, yeah, if you're not starting to hate the game, then maybe it's, you haven't played tested it enough. <laughs> so one thing that happens to me a lot is, uh, and I actually have a couple games in this state right now where um, the concept's kind of neat. Um, so I'll just talk about one uh, more specifically. So I have a game. It's a two-player head-to-head. Um, and in this game, you both play, uh, it's Frankenstein versus Frankenstein. And um, the point of the game is that um, you and the other player have both created a, a Frankenstein's monster. And instead of the things that happen in the books, you're trying to teach the monster how to be human. So you have to teach it manners and, uh, you know, to speak and how to dress and uh, customs and all these things. So basically, mm -hmm. you know, someone someone paraphrased it as, uh, Frankenstein's monsters, uh, finishing school. Um, and so <laughs> essentially you have a really good name for a game. <laughs> right. And so what, what you're doing is you have these cards and they have different skills that you can kind of learn around speech or, or manners, like or these different things. And you have a hand of those and you have a hand of scoring cards. And instead of like a split, I split, you choose uh, mechanism. This is kind of unique. It has essentially each player blindly creates three piles of cards that they um, are going to uh, kind of draft from. So basically each person blindly splits their random pile of cards into three piles. The other player does, and then you draft what's been split. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a split and draft mechanism. Uh, I mean, kind of similar to a split and choose, but with a little bit extra piece to it. 
And um, so the whole point is like, as your your Frankenstein um, monster uh, becomes better at each of these different skills, there's kind of four categories, um, then they're able to go on more and more elaborate tasks. Like uh, the monster might be sent down to the corner to get a newspaper or to go buy flowers in a, in a, in a floor shop and, and whatever the, the uh, event is. But as those things are building up, there's also like, building up your skills uh, for the monster and also like achieving these goals and also the end goals. So like these, like each round has a, like a big task mm-hmm. that, um, that the monster has to kind of like progress to go to the next grade as you, as it were. And so like the one thing is it's been hard for me to find a mechanism to keep the right kind of push and pull between the short-term goals and the long-term goals and to make that decision interesting and not just like, well, if you get the long-term goals, you'll probably get most of the short-term goals. So that's just what you should do. Right. So like, right. So the theme's interesting. I think the mechanism are interesting, but it's like the game's not really humming and doing exactly what I want it to do. It's not getting the right feeling for the, for the player where they feel torn. They don't feel torn enough. Right. There's a little too much of an obvious strategy. So yeah, I put that one off on, on the shelf a couple of times because like, sometimes I just like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to let it, let it go for now and work on something that I have a better idea how to move it forward. So I think that's one thing, right? If you don't really know, have an active plan of how to move it forward. Um, yeah. Sometimes there's a, you shouldn't throw spaghetti at the wall and other times, like maybe just wait until you have like something that you think has a reasonable chance of working. Right. Right. Yeah. In, um, and if it's a game too, that you're really passionate about, you know, I think that, um, to speak to the idea that like, oh, I'm feeling super passionate about this game and I really want to work on it, but it's just not working. Like if sometimes if you ignore those feelings and you just push forward, you're actually doing a disservice to the game you're super passionate about. Right. Because I- I'm sure you, you feel this way too, but like how many times have you put a game down and then come back to it later and been like, how did I not see this is what I needed to do here. Like this is, this is this, I can fix this problem. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, having that, that ability to say, yes, I'm going to put this down. I'm going to, uh, give it a break, um, allows you to really give it the time to kind of simmer in for you to learn more as a designer sometimes too, right? Sometimes the mechanic that you want doesn't quite exist yet, or you haven't discovered it yet. So, yeah. Well, I think that that's a good point. I think the other thing too is like sometimes by playing other games, uh, whether they're published or not, or listening to podcasts or even just observing the world in general, like you might find some spark at some point, later point in time, which we'll talk about in uh, the second part of this, which is when to take things off the shelf. Um, right. You might get that spark that says, oh, yes, that let's try that. Let's see if that'll work or not. And so sometimes you can try to force it uh, instead of just kind of like letting the letting the muse come to you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. So uh, there's a couple other things here that that I'll just mention. Um, You know, I think sometimes you might have a game and you're pitching it and um, or you have it and you're not really sure if you want to pitch it or not. And, you know, sometimes you might have a good game, but there's just really no like it just kind of happened. You have a game and it really just might not have a market. Right. So. Mm I designed a, a game that I'm not ever going to do anything with. It's on the shelf. Um, but I played the alchemist and I kind of liked it. I liked the logical deduction. Um, but there was like all this extra stuff that just seemed like 
it was kind of kitchen sinked on top just to like you know <laughs> give like variance for variance sake right like just like, right, that's right. Add more things so it's different every time and it's like well these things are not really related to the the logical deduction and the spells and that part of it so essentially i made alchemy the dice game um alchemist the dice game but i don't really know that cg wants that um and i don't know that they would want my version of it um, but it was an interesting experience and it was interesting kind of going through the process of making the game and getting it to work and having it be fun. Um, but I think it's also possible to, you just have to recognize sometimes that like that game might not go anywhere. It might not be a game that's, that was ever intended to be published. It, it can just be right. something that you have fun playing, your friends had fun playing and um, it's just good practice. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the lack of a market, is tough. I, I, I like the idea that that's not stopping you from designing the game. Um, it's just stopping you from trying to get it published. Right. Um, because, because I I do think that like, you know, we always tell like each other as designers, like don't just not, don't not work on something because there's no market for it. Right. Like, so like if you make that game, if you want to test out a game, even though you don't know who would buy it, like I say, go for it. But yeah, there's going to be that point when you're going to have to say, okay, listen, <laughs> this game is fun. I'm having fun playing it. I can play it with with my friends sometimes, uh, but I, I need to give up, right? Um, and who knows if that game ever suddenly you're like, oh, wow, this could work with this other thing. Then you have it in your back pocket and you can pull it out and use it. And that's great. So, yeah. 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 I, I forget who it was. Um, I saw a different game designer on Twitter this week post something that they had two games that weren't working. Um, they couldn't get either one of them to work. And so what they decided was just to collide them into one game and then like <laughs> see what happens and then try to rip stuff out. Right. And so I think there is something to be said for, um, you know, getting better at design by designing, right. There's a, there's an old, I don't know if it's a story, if it's true or not, but the story about, uh, this pottery class and the professor says that half the class, he splits the class, sorry, he splits the class into two halves. He said one half is going to be uh, graded based on how much pottery they produce. So strictly weight, doesn't matter what it looks like, just strictly how much the pottery that they make um, over the semester weighs. And the other class is, other half of the class is going to be graded specifically, sorry, I can't talk. Um, on their best piece. Like they just have to make one perfect piece and whatever they, however that looks um, is what their grade will be. And the thing that happens at the end of the class is the people who are just making pottery every day and just like making weight after weight and, you know, uh, over and over, they had gotten so good and learned all the things that their stuff <laughs> actually had higher quality than the people who were just trying to make one perfect pot. Right. Right. And so whether that's a true story or not, doesn't really matter. But the, the point of it still is like, Sometimes you have to like learn how to do the right thing by doing the wrong thing a bunch of times. Yes, and yes. Um, I, I think that sometimes getting caught on a specific design and not putting it on the shelf is not really helping you kind of move those things forward. So that's another maybe a good example of, of a time when you can recognize that and say, you know, I'm just going to go try to make something else. I'm going to go try to make an 18 card game or I'm going to go try to make, a, you know, a war game or a, a two player game or whatever it is. You know, actually it's like a make a party game, make the thing that you hate the most, make the thing that you don't right. want to play the most and yep. like make, make the version that you would play. Yes. Yes. It's great advice. So, um, 
that was a little bit about what we were talking about. Like maybe some signs you should put it on the shelf. Yes. And then the other side is, you know, how do things come back off? Right. Cause I think that's the big fear that a lot of people have is like, well, I've spent so much time and energy and, and effort and um, money even making this prototype and testing it that like, I don't just want to throw it away. And I think that's the big thing too, is mentally you have to break the, the concept that like, just cause it's on the shelf doesn't mean you're never coming back to it. It just means right. that like, you don't know how to move it forward right now, or, you know, you're not energized to do it or, or not the market's right. not right. You know? So like the whole thing, we've been just like making a roll and write, well, when's the right time? Is it when there's 4,000 of them and one coming out each week, or is it in three years when it's kind of died down and people are bored with the ones they have and they want a new one. Right. So like some of that right. is just timing and things like that. They're out of your control. Yep. Agreed. So I have a game that um, I'd put on the shelf a long time ago um, that I have no, I had no idea what to do with it. Um, the concept's really cool. Um, I had made a version. I didn't like it. No one else liked it. Um, but basically the premise is um, there's this, did you ever play a lot of magic online? Uh, MTGO, not the arena stuff, but the other stuff, like the original digital stuff. I did. Have I've, it, I've played it in person, but never online. No, I was never that cool. <laughs> so the MTGO client um, used to have this, these different avatars, these planeswalkers, and there's this one called Momor Vig. And so if you know what that is, you do. If not, it doesn't really matter. But the, the thing that it gave you the ability to play a game and it gave you this special ability. And what it did was you paid X mana and the, the game randomly gave you a creature that cost X out of all the cards that were ever created. So like if you paid two mana, wow. it gave you a random, you had no control of what you would get kind of um, two two casting cost creature. So you could get a grizzly bear or you could get, you know, who knows what. So like, you have no idea what you were going to get at all. And mm -hmm. so like that whole like surprise of what comes out was like a really fun kind of variant that that uh, Magic Online had. And so I thought that was like the cornerstone of a good idea. So yeah, yeah. what this original design was a premise where you are, you and your friends uh, go to a wizarding school and uh, you're in your first class of the first semester and you're just starting to learn spells about how to summon beasts and your teacher gets kidnapped and taken into a dungeon and you decide despite your lack of training that you're going to go um rescue this uh your professor from you know this dungeon that's full of monsters right so it's a classic kind of dungeon crawl setup mm -hmm. except um you're not really trained and so you barely know anything and so that same like you don't know what you're going to get mechanism that i wanted to come through is there's a deck of cards and there's a deck that's like dragons that you're trying to like you're trying to summon a dragon but instead of summoning a dragon you summon like a giant goat or a baby dog or <laughs> um you know an adolescent sized chicken like you basically like you're trying to use these spells that you don't know how to use right and so right, they, right. they go badly right and so i call the game epic fail right so the whole point was you're trying to like you know, summon dragons and all these other things to like fight through this dungeon. But it keeps going not well because you don't know what you're doing. Right. And so there was this whole mechanism, this battle piece. Um, 
and like you know, you, you summon stuff and there was a fight, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so it was interesting. The idea is kind of funny, um, but it just never really, really worked. So recently I was um, listening to a podcast and they were talking about um, this game, Regicide, which I don't want to give any more publicity to. Nope. Uh, given their publisher and their and their bad stance, but yes. um, the person was saying that like the, that reminded them a little bit of like you know kind of like a roguelike um, in mm-hmm. the sense of like having that kind of like dungeon and um, and fighting thing, and that they really this person who was on this podcast was talking about how they really wish that they had um, you know that Slay the Spire feel, but in a card game that like you could play physically, mm-hmm. and so then I was thinking back to this this thing that I, that I have of like these cards and stuff that you summon. And what if like I took this game and made it more like a solo game instead of for like multiple players. Mm-hmm. And it was more like a roguelike. And then like, yeah, you start out with a baby goat or a baby duck uh, instead of the dragon you got, but like you can upgrade that. And eventually it's a giant duck. And then like, you're slowly like flipping <laughs> cards and upgrading your, your, the spells that you have, essentially the things that are fighting but it's using all the stuff that I have from this kind of more funny theme. So it's like, mm-hmm. has the silliness mm-hmm. and the kind of like, you don't know what you're going to get when you, um, so instead of like having, um, like that deck building thing where you know what you're buying, you still have that surprise of like, when you buy something from the dragon store spells, uh, dragon spells, whatever area, like you don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get what some random thing. You just right. know what it's going to cost. And then you go from there. Right. Right. So it still has that surprise and things like that. I don't know if it's going to work. Uh, I haven't actually made all the changes yet, but it's got me a little bit excited to bring it back off the shelf and like say, hey, let me try to move this to a different area and see if that kind of pans out, if that's a mm-hmm. more interesting way to take this original design that's like, it would just be a solo game and that's that's all it would be and that's fine. Um, right, So right. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. And that's that is an interesting way to get inspiration and then... I think one of the keys there is being flexible, right? To like, when you go to take that game back off the shelf to work on it is to say like, you're doing that because you have a different idea, but you're also making pretty big changes, right? You know, like by making it a solo and things like that. And so that's, I think that's important to, you know, be flexible in those instances to find those cool ideas that that fit. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a big thing too, is like, um, we were talking before a little bit about like just doing lots of designs and just making stuff. And I think that's also an important part to just also build that detachment, right? That like, you're going to try to make this game work and you're going to make it the best game it can be. But if you don't have a solution, that's okay. Like, you know, it's, it's learning and, you know, sometimes learning what to do is, you know, is getting past what not to do. Right. Right. Um, You know, it's, it's funny. I, over the course of, you know, 485 episodes, I've thought a lot of dumb things, like, especially in the beginning. I mean, still now, but especially in the beginning, I mean, Rob and I had this very like naive ideas about a lot of things. And still, I think the single most naive idea I ever had. Um, and I love to bring it back up, um, because it's, it's so ridiculous, but I'm sure I'm not the only one that's felt like that is I thought every game that I pitched on this show was going to be a game I was going to design. Like I just did, like, I just made sense to me because I was excited about designing. Um, and it was super naive because I mean, on this, on this show, I've pitched, you know, 300 different game ideas, probably not that many, honestly, it's probably like 150 to 200, but like I've pitched all these different game ideas and, um, and a lot of them were awful. Right. 
But some of them, I'll go back and see that game idea, and I'm like, oh, why didn't I do something with that? That that looks fun. I should I should think about that sometime, right? Um, and so, so yeah, I think you know, detaching yourself, like you're saying, from that is really key to believing that you're gonna you're gonna put your best foot forward and you're gonna do your best. But in the end, it just may not be a winner, um, and that's okay. For sure, and I think that's important too, even for stuff that's like more at the idea stage. Like I have a notebook, um, basically a folder of potential game ideas. And it's like mm-hmm. some interesting thing that that's like, what if X, you know, and if that was a game, you did some stuff or whatever. And I might have a couple paragraphs written. And I mean, I, not to say this in any kind of way, but like, yeah, I probably have over a hundred of those, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm going to turn all those into games. Like, right, I'm not, right, you know, right. like I, I have to have some kind of plan of, and mentally like I build, things kind of like here's how i think the game's going to work in my head and if i can never get that to work then i don't bother making prototypes or making rules or anything else if i can't right. even ever get past that idea like <laughs> right right oh, that would that would be cool like just because you have a great idea um doesn't mean that it's going to end up being uh working out or anything no i mean i i think one of the biggest wake-up calls on most designs and especially earlier we get a little more used to it i think as you go but is the difference between the game in your head and that first play test, right? There's right. nothing more drastic than that. A lot of times, <laughs> that idea that you're like, this is the best. And then you do your first play test and you're like, nope, junk it. <laughs> and those are both probably inaccurate feelings, but yeah. Sure. Well, it's just like, I mean, you played that uh, hummingbird game at, uh, mm-hmm. at uh, I guess I was at Gen Con. Um, I mean, initially that started out with like 54 cards. And like, it's just a lot different than that. Now you have boards and all those other things. And like, it's more about hand management and other things. And so like, you you just never really know where a design is going to want to take you. You have to be open to it. I think that's another piece of it. Yeah. Shout out to that game though. I really enjoyed that game. Yeah. Actually, I haven't made a couple of changes recently. Um, I'm really happy with where it's at. I think I'll be pitching that soon. So um, one of the other things is like you said, repurposing stuff. Um, So a couple years ago, Jelly Bean had a contest. Um, they had 18 card deck. Uh, I think it was the Jabberwocky thing. And you had like 15 cards, essentially. There's three other ones, but it was mostly 15 cards. You had basically the numbers one to five and three colors. So you had red one to five, green one to five, and blue one to five. And basically they wanted to include a bunch of alternate games that you could play with the same components for this. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it was Jabberwocky, but I don't remember for for certain. Excuse me. So I'd made a game for that and kind of like was messing around. And essentially, like I I, the game that I'd made and submitted was that each of those numbers was a boat. And um, the number was their capacity. So the boat, the red one could hold one thing and the blue five could hold five things and the colors were kind of secondary. And then um, you took those 15 things and you put it in a four by four grid. And basically the gameplay was like a slide puzzle. So you could slide a card in this four by four grid um, with one hole, you could slide a card into the hole and then you can move stuff to or from one boat or another. And so um, I didn't win the contest or anything and that's fine. It was an interesting thing, um, but I always loved that idea, but I just didn't really wanted it to be a little bit bigger game than just like, 15 cards um, and I wanted to play a little bit more than two players. And so that's been on the shelf for, for probably two years. Um, 
So recently I brought that off and I had some new ideas of how to make that basically like a four player game. And so mm-hmm. it's not just like there's one hole and, 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 you know, whatever. So there's like a lot of other pieces that I've changed, but you know, something between then and now I just kept thinking about it in the background. And eventually, you know, I had an idea of how to make this, like all these boats appear in kind of more of like a six by six grid. And each of the sides is like docks and you're trying to basically get all the boats of your color to your dock with all of your goods on it. But they start out all kind of random in the middle. And again, you're, you're doing that slide puzzle thing where you're moving something into the empty spot, moving stuff on or off different boats, and then slowly just kind of like migrating your stuff um, to the outside. And um, there's still a lot of changes that need to be made to it. It's not done, but um, it's it's been playing pretty well and I'm like the direction it's heading. It's just one of those things of waiting until you have an idea and not, mm-hmm. you know, like putting, putting stuff on the shelf when you don't have an idea and when you get bring it back and get some like movement on it right away. Even if it eventually goes back on the shelf, like there's no reason that this is going to get pitched per se. But when you have that inspiration, when you have that idea of like how to move it forward, um, that's when you really kind of like, you know, strike when the iron's hot kind of thing. When you have that motivation, that's when you work on it. Like that's the the biggest thing. If you're not designing, you're not going to get better, right? You're not going to fix it by, you know, watching Netflix. So it's true. It's true. Unless it's a, Unless it's a documentary teaching you how to design games and then maybe, but still you really do need to do it yourself. <laughs> right. It's a little less interesting that way. Um, let's see what else I want to say here. Um, so one of the other things that you guys did kind of mention when you're talking about the IP stuff is, you know, designing for an IP or designing for a specific publisher style or something like that. It is like a little bit like a contest. And I think there is some value in taking one design that you're pretty happy with or that's working fairly well and then just like reapplying it to a different um, contest or different, uh, you know, restricted design environment, for lack of a better word. And so um, like recently, Buttonshy has put out a couple of different calls for designs. Uh, one was for another 54 card deck that's kind of more adventurous in theme. And then also they're looking for um, 18 card games that play like two to four players instead of just like all solo stuff mm-hmm. or one one to two kind of thing. And so I think taking a design um, that doesn't fit any of those things, like 54 cards, and trying to right. put it in that box... A, it may it may solve it, it may not, but A, it's good it's good practice, and B, like you might end up, um, you know, having a better design. So I have an old game that I designed, um, which is around the the witches from Macbeth, and the whole double double toil and trouble. They're making a spell and um, mm-hmm. famous speech at the beginning, and. I had a game where it was kind of a little bit like set collection and you did some training, had all these tokens and tiles and moved all the stuff around. And so um, the thing that I've kind of changed that to that I'm going to, that I've been trying to work on is converting that into a 54 card deck. That's um, a little bit uh, pressure luck and also kind of memory ordering. And so essentially the way the concept would work is that out of this 54 card deck, you have some number of each of these pieces of the spell you need to get it correct. And you start out with kind of like a hand that's in a random order. 
And as you're going through, you're trying to press your luck to get more of the right cards in the right order. But you also mm -hmm. have to kind of keep in keep in mind where you are in your cycle of the spell, right? Because you don't win until you're able to like play the whole spell out in one sequence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it's a little bit memory, it's a little bit pressure luck, and you're trying, and there's like a market to swap and do these other things that you can do to try to like obviously adjust your thing. Um so I don't know if it'll work or not, but it's it's a new idea and a new direction to take an old game that that was mostly tokens and and uh, these other things and try to find like a new home for it, um, and it'll work or not. But it's a good opportunity and it's also just a good thought exercise. I think a lot of times for me that's I spend a lot of time driving and so you know I end up like um, designing a lot of stuff while I'm kind of on the road. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about design when I'm mowing my lawn. So that's one yeah. of my no kids around. I just drive and think about it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the, um, it's one of those things where um, you uh, when you like pull back your subconscious a little bit and you just kind of relax, you know, like this, like in the shower, in the car, mowing the lawn, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um that's when you can like you you have to concentrate just enough doing what you're doing that you're not in the way of everything else kind of like mm -hmm. flowing more naturally so absolutely totally agree uh, i think that's most of my notes of what i was going to talk about i don't know if you had anything else you wanted to say on the subject i think in general thinking about you know when to put something away or when to to bring something back you know, one of the things I sometimes rely on too is, um, and, and I thought about this after we switched over, so I thought I'll just save it to the end, um, was the idea of like, I've sat down before with a, with, a, with a designer that I trust to be honest with me and said, like, try this game. Like, what do you think? Like, what are your thoughts? Like, is, I, I'm trying to decide if I should, if I should keep working on this right now or not and say, you know, what's your opinion? And, and I've gotten some really great feedback in both directions on that, right? Of saying like, um, you know, hey, I, I this game and, and the person plays it and says, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's a good fit right now. Like, I think you should put it down. Like, I don't think you should keep working on this for now. I think you'd be better off working on something else. Um, or like, you know, hey, no, I, I think there's something here. Like, maybe keep trying on this. Um, in the same way with those same people, I think, you know, especially leaning on when it comes to like, do I pick a game back up? Leaning on people who you've worked with and who've played the game previously um, to also bounce ideas off them to say, you know, hey, I picked up this game again. I was thinking about applying this idea to it, to this different mechanic. Like, let's talk about that. And then just kind of going back and forth and having a chat about it and bouncing it off someone else um, can sometimes be really helpful either in to say like, um, like, oh, this isn't going to work. Or I've seen before where the person's like, oh yeah, you should do it that way. And, and then they'll also be able to kind of add in, you know, some things and that really helps, um, and how to move forward with it. So, yeah. So I, I just, if you've got game designers and friends that you, that you hang out with, with this stuff, I, I think leaning on them for their opinions that you trust, uh, is really worthwhile. So that's the, that's the only thing I want to throw out in addition to what we've already talked about. So. Yeah, it's it's um 
That's an interesting point. I mean, I think that it is the thing we talk about with like play testing and stuff like that. The more people you show it to, the better the game's going to get, um, even if they don't like it or or whatever else. There's another game that I've been working on uh, this this uh, summer and spring. Um, it's kind of a pressure luck game, and essentially, like each player has these set of cards in front of them, which are like a firewall, and um, everyone's attacking the player to their life to their left. So it kind of plays you know, like six or eight people, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, you're trying to like pull stuff from the dark web, basically botnets and, and viruses and things like that to break through their firewall. And we've, we've probably played five or six different versions uh, of the rules and the, and the card structures and things like that. And it's interesting because the one thing I'm struggling with when that game is, um, after the last time we played it, my one friend was like, yeah, I think with this one change, it's going to be good. And I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> I, I, I think it's not, I don't think it's playing well at all. And I don't think that fix is going to help. I think it'll make it better, but I don't think it'll make it great. Um, I think it'll just make it meh. Um, and so like, I'm struggling with that because, you know, should I trust my gut? I, Cause I've spent more time thinking about this design than anyone else, or should I kind of trust my friend and like, let's just try it again. So it's not a big enough change that I, we won't try it, but it's also like, or could I be moving something else forward? And I think that's the thing too, when you have limited time is like, how do you decide which of these things um, you're most excited about? And so to me, that's what I always come back to is um, the most important thing is to make sure you're moving something forward. And so yes, if the thing you're, the thing you're moving forward is the thing you're most excited about, work on that. Because I, I also like, I'm fine with that firewall game being on the shelf. I'm fine with it being on the shelf for, for two years. Like that's not going to bother me at all. And maybe my friend's right. Maybe that, mm -hmm. that change will fix it and make it good. Um, but right now, I don't really care to find out. I'm not that excited about the answer to that question. Um, there's other things that I've been working on that I'm more excited about. And so to me, that's the biggest thing is like whatever keeps your kind of momentum and mojo moving forward, then like focus on that. Um, and if you don't feel like you should, you care about moving it forward, that's the thing we talked about earlier, like if making a change to the prototype, and this is a small change, like it's kind of daunting, then that's a good sign to put it aside. So I've ignored my friend's advice yes, and yes. set it to the side because I don't <laughs> care if that fixes it right now. I might, I might care next year, but right now I don't really care. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, you, uh, you pick the person specifically, I think whose feedback you do want that might tell you to do that. Um, but yeah, the, in, in, to be fair, it may fix the game for them, right? They may play it right. with the new change. Be like, this is amazing. You're like, I still hate this. <laughs> you know, that's not good. You know? Yeah. Right. Awesome. Right. How, well, this is, how am I going to, how am I going to pitch it to a publisher if I don't like it? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, this is, this has been an interesting conversation though. I, I'm excited that we were able to talk about this. I think this is, this is key for a lot of designers, uh, both new and, and experienced uh, to to know when to you know I, I to me the biggest takeaway is that what you said about you always want something to be moving forward right um, and that is this will really help you sort that out because I, I know from experience like um, like you get too many projects in front of you and it can be hard to move any of them forward right because you're you're inching them all forward so little that you might as well not be doing anything you know and to be able to peel off and say okay I'm going to focus on this one. And put everything else on the shelf right now, or these few, um, you know, not everyone can be Julio Nasario, 
who's got like 14 pitchable prototypes at like any point that he's like really feels good about. I mean, like Julio's a machine and that's, that's awesome. Um, we love you, Julio. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we can't all have that. Sometimes we just have to move one thing forward at a time and there's nothing wrong with that at all. For sure. For sure. Awesome. Well, you, uh, you told me we were going to, you were going to pitch a game. So I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, I did say that when you said I had to. Yes, definitely. I said sure. you could. I <laughs> could have made kidding. something up. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Uh, yeah, so uh, a new design I'm working that I'll pitch now is um, kind of my first big heavy Euro. And so still kind of at the beginning. It's not uh, it's not done with the design. But the, the general theme is um, it's in the future. Um, you know, like the world is totally different. You know, it's like 2023 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that was a bad joke. Um, so it's like, say, 2300. I, uh, and uh, Yeah. I Hey, we talked about this earlier. You don't know, okay? We have yeah, no we idea know. what to expect. Yeah. The, the world could be uh, totally different by then. Um, and so, like, people don't really have farms anymore. Everything's grown via hydroponics. And... Um, you all run these companies and uh, in addition to everything being uh, grown by hydroponics, the GMO has kind of like so exploded that um, we don't really grow apples or corn or uh, pears or, you know, anything like that, that's recognizable. We literally grow things that are kind of like uh, the best analogy be like, it's like solid soylent green. Right. So it's like it's it grows a sphere shaped soylent green like substance. Right. And so essentially you have these hydroponic farms and you start with like a, a single unit. And um, this game has some three dimension out three dimensionality to it, uh, which which uh, is kind of cool. So essentially you have these these hydroponic stacks and you have these different uh, types of things you can grow. So there's um, as a nod to that, it's uh, called Joyful Green. So you could grow some <laughs> joyful green uh, spheres or some joyful orange spheres or some joyful purple spheres. And everything is named by color. There's no uh, other kind of food. It's just what color <laughs> it is. And so um, there's this kind of like variety of, of uh, actions that you can take on your turn, right? So it's like everyone think a little bit like terraforming Mars where you just kind of go around taking one action at a time until everybody passes. Mm-hmm. And so you can do things like... Um, take uh, new seed pods um, from the store and put them on your, your hydroponic things. And the hydroponic things are going to be like this pin and the, the things that you grow are like these beads or or whatever that have holes in them. So essentially you stack them up. So Mm -hmm. like they end up being stacked visually. um, That's cool. That's very cool. Up to four uh, on each of the different pods that you do. And so the other things you can do is you can buy different buildings um, to help manage your whole farm enterprise. So you can buy factories, you can buy warehouses and the factories and warehouses um, largely are specific to the color of the stuff that you're growing. So like if you, if you want to have like kind of a joyful green engine or a joyful orange engine, then you're building orange warehouses and um, orange factories that process them into orange mush. Um, But there's other things you can buy, which are like uh, more action cards. So things that like fertilizer that would help things grow more quickly. Um, There's um, a bunch of different kind of like other things you can do to kind of like accelerate your engine. 
And at the end of each turn, um, you run your factory, you have to pay uh, a little bit of money for that. And then um, all your stacks that have things on them, they all grow, right? So you, if you had a stack with two of the joyful orange spheres, now you have a third, um, et cetera, for all the other colors. Now, there's also um, another kind, a newer kind of GMO product that they've uh, come out with, which actually is like a three-dimensional hexagon. So it's like this polyhedron shape. Um, and the good thing is they grow twice as fast. So it's these oh. are called joyless green or joyless orange. And they work largely the same, except they grow twice as fast. Um, but you can't, um, those are really only like, the quality that that could be sent uh, sent to the factories for processing. They don't look appealing. They don't have the same texture. They have to be kind of processed. Okay. So the one the one other thing that I didn't mention. There's also kind of like um, a farmers market area where it's a little bit like order fulfillment. So as you're growing the different things, if you have the stuff that the uh, from the farmers market, you can fill a customer's order, and then you get more money um, by filling them those specific orders. Um, forgiving them, but they only accept the joyful products, the nice sphere hole looking like a real thing stuff They you can't sell your joyless stuff at the farm. I love that market. it's called joyless. I know. Right. <laughs> and so, um, but the other thing is, even if I have a, a factory, um, anybody can sell to my factory, not just me. And so there's a little bit of kind of like when you're taking your action, you're trying to, you want to do four things, but like which, which of the four things do you have to do first? Because other people are going to do stuff that blocks you. Mm -hmm. So I might want to take some of my joyless orange and run it through my orange factory, but you could also sell some of your joyful orange to me and block that. Now I have to pay you, but it also like stops my engine from kind of like churning uh, and certain things. So um, the factories take stuff from anywhere. There's the warehouses, there's the farmer's market. There's the other things that kind of are like multipliers, the things that help you plant extra or grow extra and go through extra cycles. And so essentially that's like called the economic part. And the secondary part that I'm trying to work out now is, so you have your company and your company's value is based on how many shipments you've made to the farmer's markets and to the factories. Um, the cost of the warehouses and factories that you've built, um, they increase the value of your, your company. But at the end mm -hmm. of each round, um, your company has money. Um, you can pay dividend up to a certain amount to the investors. And so you're part of the investor group. And so essentially you're taking some of the money out of the system and that's money you can't use to build another factory or build another warehouse or to plant more seeds or to buy another hydroponics line. Cause you only start with one, you can build extra. Um, but if you ever have enough money from the investor side, uh, at the end of the turn, after you've paid dividends, um, the one, end game condition is if you buy someone else's company. Oh, okay. So if, if the investors that you're part of have enough money paid out through dividends that they can buy somebody else's company, um, then the game's over. So you have okay. to kind of be, um, increasing the value of your company. Um, but also you have to decide when to increase the value of your company by building more stuff or take money out to try to like have a hostile takeover kind of situation. Right. Right. Um, so it's like, there's the engine part, um, and that piece, but then there's also the secondary part to like put pressure on people that, um, and then 
you know, there's certain things where like you may have to take loans and that would decrease the value of your company. And so, you, you know, you have to kind of like be paying attention to like what you're doing. Um, I don't know if that'll work out or not, but that's the idea right now. So, so yeah, like it's called de- joyful. Increasing value would then make it easier for somebody to purchase your company. Is that the idea? Just like a yep. real life stock market where like if your company's value gets too low, then yeah, somebody, you could get a hostile takeover. Interesting. Right. If, if the company had a lot of debt, then um, that would affect the purchase price. Um, right. And so um, then, then they could take it over. So yeah, you that's said it's general... called what? Well, in my head, it's called Joyful Green. Nice. Nice. Um, I, I think it sounds super interesting. And I'm not a super Euro person, but it, it sounds like it's got a lot of interesting things going on with it and some visual stuff, too. So, oh, look at that. I actually have the sphere is nice. Yeah, so these are the spheres you can't see on the podcast, and these are like the three-dimensional hexus space, space uh, shapes. Right, right. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a three-dimensional puzzle with the way the hydroponics work because they kind of like they only hold four, and then they overflow, and you have to kind of like pick which which lines you're doing and how they fill and the timing of that. Um, so there's like a spatial puzzle there. There's the kind of investment of like, well, do you want to have warehouses? So like when things start overflowing, you can't store them anywhere. So that's one thing I didn't say is obviously you can harvest as part of selling to the farmer's market or the factory. But when you harvest, you have to harvest that whole pod. So you can't just like take one bead off. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes you take sense. the whole, you take the whole hydroponic pod off. So that's one to four different things. And so like, that's part of the spatial puzzle and then you can add more lines, but they have a cost and each one costs money to run electricity and things through. So like there's spatial, there's economic, there's, you know, we don't have warehouses for storing or factories for storing. And then there's the money part. So I don't know. We'll see. It's been, no. uh, it's been interesting change. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I, um, if you, uh, if you get that up on like TTS or something, I would love, or, or in person someday, I would <laughs> love, love to try that. So yeah, let's, let's, let's aim for person because that sounds great. let's, let's yeah. assume that like the world's going to return to some normalcy and we can actually great. like, play games with people oh that'd be awesome i would love that all right well hey man thanks a lot for chatting today this has been a really good time and a lot of fun here and uh i think it's been a super fun topic to cover as well yeah yeah definitely thanks for having me on and uh listeners thanks for joining us uh we uh hope you enjoyed the show uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. Uh, email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. Call us at 770-TELL-BTG. Find our Discord and our website. Join that. We're starting up a group, uh, a weekly uh, meeting. Uh, that'll be a nice 30-minute meeting uh, and one evening a week uh, where we're going to help with accountability for everybody for keeping your game designs going, uh, something we could all use. And Roscoe and I are already planning on being part of that, so you definitely want to join us. Um yeah, so uh, of course, check us out on all the lovely podcasting places. Find us, don't want to forget this, on the Twitter at PodcastBTG, at J.A. Slingerland. Roscoe is at Roscoe Shock. Uh, and if you're not sure how to spell that, it's R O S C O S C H O C K. And uh, yeah, uh, I encourage you to follow him there on Twitter as well. Uh, and until next time, good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Tell BTG. Please don't use the email.